Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Of course, they're makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast and my name is Dr. James Diem. And I'm joined by the uber-talented co-host, who's repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. Roya, what is up? Oh, what's up? How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I liked awesome. that. Did you like that? I did, yeah. yeah. Nice. That was a fun, fun intro there. That uh, was a good intro. We've got a really fun month planned. October, holy crap, 2018, where have you gone? Unbelievable. I love all of your uh your Instagramming you've been doing lately. A lot of fall flavors. So fall. Instagram. So much pumpkin spice. I'm I'm just overflowing with oranges, reds, and yellows. It's great. <laughs> I mean, it's you gotta please the people. Amen, I'm I'm sister. growing I'm growing my marketing campaign. Although you are just creating FYI, quite a presence, it's young like lady. a um I'm trying to be like sort of incognito. Like I don't want people to know who uh, that is. So don't say, say it. it. What you are. It's, it's a secret. People all have to find ego. out and hope yes. they can figure it out on their own. Yeah. I'm the live eye. So people know. I don't care. You could all follow me. That's good. <laughs> That's right. But you, we also have a try not to blink Instagram. Try so not to wanna, blink show. Follow yeah, what's yeah. up. That's right. That's right. Yep. Nice. So let's jump into it. We got some uh, industry news. We like to kick off our podcast. And we've got some really cool stuff we're going to talk about. It's October. What are we talking about in October real quick so people know? October is a spooky month. It's spooky. (laughs) Scary. And maybe not in the sense that you think. And I think today is going to be kind of like in the sense that you think. Like things that make you like not sleep well and things that, you know, will make you literally shake in your boots. But we're going to have some other uh, topics, but they relate to being scared, but maybe not in the sense that you would think, right? Exactly. Beautiful. All definitions of scary as it relates to eyes or not. Beautiful. Yeah. So let's transition into some industry news. On the radar again, Sun Pharma is on their, I believe, third FDA approval of the quarter. They are on a roll. They're killing it. I don't the know what they're doing. The sun is over rising. <laughs> Seriously, people. on Sun it's Pharma, it's a new day. The first <laughs> non BAK Latanapros was approved last week. Zelpros, potato pros, potato potato. Zelpros, no sure. Not sure. Sequa? Say sequa. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, let's Whatever. put the weirdest combination of letters together and yeah. make a drug. Makes sense. Anyways, Zelpros is, uh, like I said, the new Latanoprost, uh, 0.005%. It is used to reduce IOP in open-angle glaucoma and ocular hypertension. As I mentioned, of course, it has no uh, benzylconium chloride, <laughs> BAK, and also yeah. it sparks what they call swollen micelle microemulsion technology. 
whatever yeah, that so, means. Yeah, that's that's what it, they're using to like as a vehicle and, and preservative instead of BAK. So that's that's like their whole thing. That's Sun's whole thing. They take stuff that works and they try to change its carrying molecule, its vehicle, its preservative. They, and they're just they try to make things better. So you know what they came out to market with was um, Bromsite. Uh, hmm. Bromfenac with uh, Duracite technology to try and make it more comfortable, longer contact time, better penetration. Um, so you know, we now we see Sequa coming out, <laughs> and that's a similar thing. It's it's um, going to be a uh, my, micro emulsion, micelle type situation. Um, and here we have Zelpro. So I think it's going to be interesting. Do you find yourself? Uh, do you think you'd prescribe this? I don't see why not. I mean, of course, it's going to be more expensive, but. Right. Um, also, side note, you said that the one preservative that I know I read over the whole uh, FDA approval note, and actually they use potassium sorbate as their preservative. Okay. So um, it does have a, a preservative. It does have a preservative, okay. but it's not it's BAK. Not BAK. Interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it definitely matters because we know that amongst the population, I mean, dry eye in general, of course, is a big deal. Just normal population, 33% of people ish have dry eye but among glaucoma patients we know it's much higher so amongst glaucoma around 53 percent of patients have dry eye disease boom boom yeah that's, that's huge and then yeah and then also the prostaglandin analogs are the most commonly prescribed medication obviously being that it's a really uh good iop lowering medication so so yeah i mean to ignore it is unfortunate. I mean, in my dry eye clinic, the patients that I treat that have severe glaucoma are really tricky because some of the little tricks that we use in treating dry eye, for instance, steroids, you can't really use in someone who has high or like close to end stage glaucoma. You can't do some of the little tricks or let's say someone has a bleb. You can't, I wouldn't put a for instance, a Procare on a bleb or I wouldn't do certain things that I would do in a normal dry eye patient's in someone has glaucoma. So if you can do something to curb some of the chronicity of dry eye for someone who has glaucoma, I think it's definitely worth doing because we know it's not a it's not a mystery that that's going to happen with more. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think one one really and I'm not going to go into too much detail about this study. It was uh, just published in April 2018 in the Journal of Ocular Pharmacology. Uh, you know, there's always a lot of discussion about the generics of latanoprost and this one's better than that one and, and you never know what you're going to get. And Some of that has to do with the levels of BAK in there. And, and you know, I've always heard that BAK, despite its you know toxicity in the cornea, it, it kind of breaks down the cornea in a way and allows for penetration. That's part of the reason why people actually use it. So, we, you know, have a study, that. we'll post it, and um, you can look into it a little bit more but interesting there's you know varying levels of of uh bak in, in these various generics that they found it wasn't the highest that the highest concentration that did the best because they actually measured the concentration in the anterior chamber um it wasn't the highest it wasn't the lowest it was kind of somewhere in between so um take that for whatever it's worth and, and we'll see you know what uh what um zelpros or pros uh does and and how we are able to in, in implement it into our uh, regimen. So one new tell... thing we wanted to start right was uh, something uh, about scleral lenses, right? And uh, thank you again to Valley Contacts, of course, the custom stable makers. And, ooh, ooh. and we thought, you know, since since uh, you know we 
you and and I fit, you know, a good number of scleral lenses in our day that we'd impart some wisdom on our listeners. Yes. And uh, share a tip. People reached out and asked a couple questions just about scleral lenses. And we've decided to feature a scleral lens pearl of the episode or day. That's right. Cellpod. Cellpod, if you will. (laughs) Hashtag S-L-P-O-D. Cellpod. You'll be saying cell pod in your sleep, people. So and and so scleral, the scleral, the cell pod of the day is what? what? What are we caring about today? Super simple, but you know, foundation of fitting and implementing scleral lenses is inserting and removing your scleral lens. Sounds so like important. sounds like kindergarten level <laughs> application here, but. I think it's like one of the basic hurdles you have to get over to being comfortable even talking to it about it, talking about it with the patient. I remember in the beginning of my fellowship at KCI, I would when I had a patient that wasn't a normal contact lens wearer, and I would try and get that lens in, and they were flipping their eyes backwards or just not participating. I would start sweating. I would take my jacket off. It just has a lot of anxiety. It makes you less likely to want to put the lens in altogether. So I've got a couple different tricks, but Jimmy, what do you do in situations like that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the first thing that I try to uh, show the patient and, you know, when I'm talking to other doctors about this, the first thing I always say is you have to be confident. You just have to have the utmost amount of confidence that you are the bomb diggity <laughs> putting scleral lenses in. I take it as a challenge and I, I kind of, um, you know, really pride myself on being able to put a scleral lens in literally anybody's eye. Yes. I don't care what your aperture looks like. Same. I don't care how afraid you are. Same. I'm going to get that shit in your eye. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. and I come at this situation with that amount of cockiness and, yes. and, 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 and uh, complete confidence. And the reason I... I do that is because I want the patient to know that this is an absolutely normal thing. It's nothing to be afraid of. Yes. And it's going to happen. Ooh. And if I could do it, ultimately, I, I always say this, listen, if I get this lens in your eye, then you can do it too. Amen. And 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 so, you know, <laughs> and I just, you know, that's that's really the bottom line. So totally I think agree. if you're very, very confident in being able to do this, then ultimately the, the patient's going to be able to do it. And they're going to come on the journey with you. Fact. I think totally agree with everything you say. I like to set myself up for success every time. You know, I don't want to fail. And if I know someone, like slow pitch patient comes in, they're a GP wearer and you could touch your finger to their cornea and they wouldn't flinch. So those are easy ones. But someone comes in with severe dry eye and you can barely put a drop in their eye, that's going to be a harder patient to fit. So some of the like one, two, threes of what I do when I know it's going to be harder, number one, I put a numbing drop in. I don't usually do it, but I tell them, you know, either way, this is what the lens is going to feel like even when your eye is numb. It's supposed to feel good and supposed to feel like it's not in there. So that's not really skewing your feeling of what a scleral lens will feel like. Number two, if I really am nervous about getting the lens on, I put cellulovisc in the bowl of my lens or some sort of gel. It's not going to give me my best visual outcome, but it will allow me to very easily get the lens on without a bubble. Because when you get a lens on and there's a bubble in it, the patient immediately is going to dislike the lens because they're not going to see well and it's not going to feel good. And and that's going to happen to me every time I do it. And you're going to take it out and put it back in. But what am exactly. I going to do? Exactly. Right? You're losing them. Exactly. I want the first time to always be good. And then lastly, 
I'm going to give them a visual target. And let's say I'm putting it in their right eye. I'm going to force them to look with their left eye at whatever target I'm looking at. If I can tell I'm not going to get it in, I'm not going to actually put it in until I know I'm going to get it in. You see what I mean? I love so, it. So set yourself up. Do not let yourself go poor or like don't like let your fingers be all slippery. Don't don't attempt right. multiple times because the patient's going to lose trust in you immediately. Come prepared. Come prepared. Yes. That's right. And then also like speed, it. like confidence and speed. The slower you go, the right. more the like it's shaky not gonna work. hand. No yeah, shaky no, hand. No, no coffee. Come prepared. No shaky hand. None of that business. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it. You know, we could go on for like three weeks. Yes. You and I just going back and forth on this stuff. I love what you said, and I'm going to cut you off. Oh. <laughs> I think we got the just, point across. I love it, I, and uh, you know maybe maybe we'll put some other little tips on on uh, Facebook or Instagram about insertion removal. Yeah. Hashtag cell pod. Cell pod. Scleral lens pearl a day. Yep. People ask if there's another pearl you want. A certain topic. Getting it off. Teaching. Let us know. Yeah. So um, one of our list, one of our uh, guests at one point, you know, we were, we got off of the the podcast and we always do like a little debriefing session. We're like, you know, what, what, what do you think? You know, what can we talk about? What kind of topics do you want to hear? And you know, what, what they said was, you know, I think it would be kind of fun to talk about something that has nothing to do with optometry. So we are going to try to do, so we do. very brief. No opto- non-OD related, non-optometry related uh, topic. So what is our non-optometry topic for today? You know, it's non-optometry, although there are applications for the eye and general yeah. health. But we decided to talk about super trendy keto diet. Yes, <laughs> it is super trendy. It's like it everywhere trendy. right now. It really is. And you know, and I think it's because people love bacon. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Except you, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I like it, but I don't know if that's why. I think I love cheese and avocado, but that's all right. That'd See, be my that's bigger... the difference between Hazelton <laughs> keto diet and <laughs> California slash you know Pacific Northwest keto <laughs> diet. You guys have you know all your um, tropical crops over there, like avocados, and we eat bacon. Yeah, exactly. Do they grow avocados up there? I bet they don't even have them. No, we don't grow avocados. <laughs> what do you think? This is Mexico. <laughs> okay. California? Bakersfield. Anyway, the keto diet refers to a ketogenic diet, which comes from the fact that the body makes fuel from molecules called ketones, um, which is an alternate fuel opposed to glucose when your blood sugar is short of glucose. So ketones are produced when you have low amount of carbs that you're eating. So your your body's not getting enough carbs, which is broken down into glucose. You get your ketones typically from protein in your diet. And so when you have a low amount of carbs, you end up starting to produce ketones. When you are on a ketogenic diet, you basically have to uh, decrease your, fat, your, your uh, carb intake so that your body goes into a process called ketosis when your body is producing these ketones. And, and it's producing uh, the ketones from your fats and from your proteins exactly. and from other fuel sources. So basically, you're poisoning yourself. No. Yes. <laughs> ketones are natural it's poison. Things. No. Listen. I mean, the things that you can eat when you're on ketosis are natural fats, so like butter, uh, oils, meats, <laughs> seafood, cheese, eggs, 
vegetables that are low in glycemic index or on the glycemic index. So basically like, like none, green. Like celery. Ew. I hate celery. Uh, I would say broccoli, <laughs> cauliflower, peppers, uh, asparagus, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Furthermore, hithermore. So, you know, the the problem that I had with this, so we, we you and I had a little discussion about this offline. So, uh, and and I'm just going to speak for myself. I've always, you know, struggled with my weight, actually. I've, I was a heavy kid growing up and, um, you know, I got into running and biking later in life and lost a, a good amount of weight. And it's always been something I've always been aware of and struggled with. And so I've gone through, you know, trying different diets and whatnot. So, you know, we we just had a little boy and um, I haven't been able to run as much as I want to or, you know, deal, you know, look at what I'm eating. I put a whole bunch of weight back on and, and I, I don't like that. I don't feel good, you know, with that. But, um, you know, I've heard, hear all this stuff about keto diet and I said, you know, I'm going to give it a try because I like uh, blue cheese dressing and, and bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and so this sounds perfect for me. So I get literally four days into this. Okay. And, um, it, I feel like absolute shit. I feel like absolute crap. Well, you I, had the I, keto flu. I, I don't want to feel like crap. And you everything I read, it. everything I saw said, you're going to think better. You're going to be sharper. No, not you're for the first be a couple days. Man. What's that? Not for the first couple of days. You didn't read well enough. This I is the benefit, not. though. You have to get into ketosis, which is something that it takes usually a week or so. But it takes a it, week? You have to feel yeah, like shit for a week? Not always. Depends on how much you're cheating. But the cool thing <laughs> is once you actually get into that system or into that process, your body is um, much more efficient at burning food. You have a much better appetite control. You have more energy. It's great for people who have any sort of inflammatory condition. Um, so it's good for dry eye. Dry eye, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, any sort of like GI Crohn's disease things like that oh man Um, I don't know better triglycerides and like a a cholesterol level Um, and actually your endurance and your energy does increase but you have to get past it and actually I read a pretty interesting study saying that it's actually an effective medical therapy for people who have epilepsy Um, I wonder why that is I don't know maybe just like inflammation in general because this is supposed to be more of a kind of an anti-inflammatory diet but anywho it it seems counter yeah productive but it's uh it definitely works i mean you see the results people out there but what's what else what else do we got um part of ketosis but another big thing diet related is intermittent fasting intermittent fasting is we think about fasting in a negative term as like not eating and that's not the idea of it. The idea of it is that you're giving your body a break and instead of always giving your uh, body uh, food to be processing, you skip a meal. It's not that you're skipping uh, how much you're eating. You can eat the same amount of calories, but you give your body more time to digest. So let's say you skip a Mm. breakfast. So you eat dinner and then don't eat again until let's say 1 PM for lunch. You still drink water and if you if you really needed to eat, you could. But the whole point is to give the body time to rest and relax or you can fast dinner to dinner. But you still eat your normal amount of caloric, uh, daily caloric intake. Hmm. Um, so it's just kind of interesting because it lets your body not always expect food and okay. be better processing. All right. Maybe I'll give that a try. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's kind of interesting. I, I used to do it, especially before my diet. I was way more – or my diet. My wedding back in February, I was way more motivated to, like, do anything to try and right. be fit. But anyways, yeah, no, I would yeah. do it and I would I would skip breakfast. I would work out in the morning. So I was a working out fast aid. Uh, which in the beginning was miserable because we feel sure. like we need food to fuel our body to work out. Right. So in the beginning, it was kind of like a mind game because I had to like get past the idea that I was tired. When really, once I got past that, I didn't need food to work out. Of course, I was hungry, but your body now is not only in a more efficient state, but it's burning more uh, calories. So then by the time mm. I got to lunch, I was nice and hungry and my body was worked out and felt good, etc. Nice. Yeah, it's my two cents. Uh, it's it's valuable two cents, I think, and uh, definitely uh, I hear so much about it. So it's nice to know a little bit about why it might work. Yeah, it's a, so you know you it's interesting to like challenge your body a little bit. Not obviously do anything that would sacrifice your health, but uh, read and educate yourself on the things that might benefit your body, and especially ed- educating patients or being able to talk to patients about it because they often bring it up, just saying, oh, "Would this be good for me?" Especially if you are borderline diabetic or have high blood pressure, that might be something that a conversation can really uh, motivate patients sometimes, even from their eye doctor, to get really healthy and in shape. Cool. Well, that was our non-optometry-related post of the day, sponsored by the Ketogenic Diet. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) So. So anyway... I'm I'm actually, you know, I said on the intro that I'm here on the East Coast, but I'm not. I'm actually on the same time zone as you. I'm on the West Coast, I guess, ish. No, you'd come around. I'm in Vegas. <laughs> Vegas. Ooh. Um, I'm at Vision Expo. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah. How yeah, is it? So, so far, so good. I mean, it just got started. I, I, part, I uh, took part in the Ocular Surface Disease Symposium cool. today, and that was good. It was well attended. It was free, so that's why oh, everybody nice. was there. Nothing to do with me. Um, <laughs> but probably the best part of my time so far was my cab driver eh? from the hotel. Every other word out of this lady's mouth was shit. What? Just every other word. Sailor. And, such a sailor and i'm just like i i loved her and so i get into i get in there and she's like so you part of that opt optician shit <laughs> she called you out. and i just was like oh welcome to vegas and um i said yeah and she's like oh so what do you do for the eye doctor i'm like oh well you know i actually am an eye doctor and she's like oh wow well you know she goes on and on about how she needed uh, progressives and maybe she's going to get them in her sunglasses, but she's going to wait until the end of summer because it's so hot. And I said, yeah, it is hot. And then she wanted to prove how hot it was, I guess, because she said, oh, I'm going to put the windows down. I'm going to turn the air conditioning out. So I know. So you know how shit and hot it is here. It's oh going to be a hundred degrees. Everything what? was shit. Yeah. I just couldn't. I just was like, where am I? What is this? The time zone? And then I found out she's actually from the East Coast. So ah, now I get it. She's probably from Pennsylvania. I understand why she speaks the way she does. And she was, she was kind of speaking my language a little bit. So anyway, that was my introduction to Vision Expo. So far, so good. It really kicks off tomorrow. Today, um, you know, it was kind of like the pre-day. Um, it's, it is so- conference season right now. So much conference season. What's what? the next big conference that's coming up? I mean, I'm sure there's a couple, but 
I personally am going to two in November next month. Oh, um, okay. Obviously, I'm going to Academy, which I'm excited about, and we have some nice. pearls to talk about for that. But I'm also going to yeah. I Innovate. Okay. Um, that's the day before Academy, so I'm going in L.A., uh, nice. do a day long of marketing and uh, that sort of thing. and then Social marketeering. Precisely. I'm actually super excited about it. It's one of the like first – it's brand new uh, conference all about marketing and business-related topics, Google, Can you just Instagram. just search I Innovate? And yeah. We'll, we'll post it on our website. Um, okay. Super excited about it. So I'll definitely share yes. after I get back. But And then, yeah, of course, no like I said, flying straight, direct flight from L.A. to San Antonio, 8 p.m. Jet that center. night. Holla. Um, But then, of course, Academy will be the rest of the week, and that should be super fun. With Try Not to Blink, we're going to have a sweet booth set up, so if people want to come say what's up, they can. This is a big deal. We're going to have a booth. We're going to have swag. We're going to be podcasting it's gonna be really fun slash funny so if you're like big fan which you know if you aren't you you should be (laughs) and um you know you'll be even more of a fan when you meet us because we're generally pretty cool people um so come up say hello and uh we'll have a good old time we'll 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 autograph something yeah just arms and yeah. maybe upper chest not or anything ears below. how about we autograph ears because that's where people listen the scapula to scapula Done. what's your shoulder blade no clavicle clavicle I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm making stuff up i don't know above, we'll be there you know. be there be square can't wait done so all right yes <laughs> on to the the good stuff as if everything to this scary. point wasn't already Boo. just what? awesome yes <laughs> scary stuff so this is our scary grand rounds, okay? Grand so rounds. we're talking about a couple different cases that just leave you a little bit less sleepful at night. Yeah. Can't sleep as well. So let's talk. You go case one, Jimmy. Break it case down. Case one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give total and complete credit to Doctor. And I apologize. I don't know how to say her name. I'm gonna say Kuhn. K-U-H-M, but it might be Kun, it may be Kuhn, I'm not sure. Jamie, and and she is just awesome. She is on Facebook. She's always posting about um, ocular prosthetics, and uh, she's really, you know, sort of taken this uh, specialty to the next level. And I just was blown away by a post she put on today. I actually asked her, um, you know, um, for her, you know, blessing to talk about this because she posted a picture with her and a woman whom she fit with a ocular prosthesis. And I've had some experiences like this, so I thought it would kind of fit into our scary, uh, spooky, or less than desirable uh, situation talk here tonight. So she fit a a woman, her name was Peggy, middle-aged female, in an ocular prosthetic contact lens uh, because she was the victim of domestic violence. Uh, She was severely beaten by her uh, inebriated husband, almost to death, actually. Um, Most of her injury centered on her eye, uh, her right eye in particular. Um, She posted a picture of the eye. It has a permanent iris abnormality, so the iris isn't constricting and dilating, which obviously leaves her extremely light sensitive. I see a tube shunt in the picture that she posted, so there's probably you know, some, some eye pressure related issues, glaucoma, there was a retinal detachment. So a retinal surgery was done. Um, this lady is permanently, you know, reduced vision and extreme light sensitivity. So Dr. 
K-U-H-N-Kuhn, um, you know, took this lady from, you know, 2100 or worse, and now she's 2050, much more comfortable, no light sensitivity. And, and I think most uh, importantly was that she restored a sense of dignity in this lady because when you look at her eyes, now you, you're not able to tell that one eye was severely disfigured because she's wearing this, this blue-colored prosthetic lens that was made specifically for her. And, you know, the part that's scary for me is, you know, I, I run into this stuff and I actually had a patient um, who uh, came in and she was actually with her kids and um, the kids were there for an eye exam that day. And she came in, she said, I had a concussion and um, cause she was just acting weird. She was acting out of it. And, uh, you know, I actually asked the kids to leave at the end of the kids eye exam and I said what's what's really going on um and I asked a few more times and she uh let me know at that point that um her husband had beat her and uh that's why she had the concussion and no one oh. else knew and um you know so the point of what I'm trying to say here is um you know we're put on the front lines of this kind of stuff and and you know many of us didn't ask to have to you know deal with these types of things um but we do and we have to and it's not always men beating their wives it's it's often other situations that are less than uh fun to talk about but you know these are situations where you kind of have to know you know how to where to go and you know how to report and and get these people the, the support that they need you know for Dr. Kuhn she was able to take this woman from you know light sensitivity and and uh you know cosmetic um discomfort to you know, totally redoing, reworking her life. And in my experience with that patient, you know, um, you know, we, we did some vision rehab for her and we, you know, got her some, some, uh, some other help that helped her out in her family. Um, but this is the stuff that keeps you up at night, you know, and, uh, you, you've dealt with a situation. You're not really sure how to handle it because we're really not trained how to handle these things in school. No. Well, and who expects a conversation like that? Of course right. you want to help people, patients but when they come up with a, a response like that it's almost like drop breaks your heart like how do I deal with this and you you just want to help as a right. na- natural response but right. bravo all right your turn my turn whoa okay so <laughs> a, lighter note. a little bit different type of scary <laughs> here this is like a legit lose sleep on what did I do sort of thing um, so I had a patient, she was a 54-year-old female, sent to me prior to getting cataract surgery from one of my cataract surgeons due to severe dry eye. He deferred her surgery until her ocular surface improved, uh, per me. Uh, her best corrected VA at the time was 2040 and 2060. So she had a, essentially like two to three plus SBK across her corneas. She didn't, hadn't been doing much to fix that. Of course, she was light sensitive, light sensitive, uncomfortable, uh, was in pain. So long story, fast forward through a couple different treatments, including uh, Procara. We were using steroids. We were um, using artificial tears, non-preserved. But anytime I would take whatever treatment out and try and go without her um, – Without an assistant for Procara or a bandage contact lens, the cornea would um, get dry again. She'd have SBK again. So she was also on restasis as a side note. But anyway, so bandage contact lens, she 
loved them. I mean, when I would put them in for her, she felt they were like the gift of the gods. She Every time I put them in, she was like, woohoo, yay. Like, she was a very well-traveled woman. She loved what it did for her. And actually, with the bandage lenses in, she would see like a soft 2025. As I mentioned, she needed cataract surgery, so her night vision wasn't great. But like, this let her do the things she wanted to do. So anyways... I had gone through two or three rounds of bandage contact lens, and of course she was using, I believe, a polytrim or something, QPM. And I get a call. I happen to be working on a Saturday. She has developed pain and a red eye. Very painful. Mm. Guess what? Can you guess? Uh, uh, she um, poked herself in the eye. Oh, I wish. She had a huge <laughs> corneal ulcer right in the Come center on. of her cornea. No! Yes, of her right eye, which happened to be her dominant eye. And, b- like, she loved me, okay? Because I've been, like, doing something to actually fix her poor, uncomfortable eyes. But shame on me for letting something... You know, like, bandage contact lenses aren't a good treatment for dry eye long-term, realistically. Right. But anyways... It's playing with fire. Playing with it fire, is. it really is. And so... Yeah. She ends up with this corneal ulcer. It's pretty big. Luckily, they fix it. She doesn't end up um, having any big, big problems except kind of a scar toward the center of her vision. Now her best corrected VA is 2040. Mm -hmm. And I just feel somewhat guilty of that, right? Because I know that she loved – she begged me for them every time. And I I would say, you know, this is not a good treatment. You have a risk of infection. I told her the things. But – but yeah, I mean, you told her all the things. I told her all the things, and it still bit me in the butt. And like, right. you you want to treat them best. You want to treat patients and fix their problems, and you don't want to deprive them of a good treatment. But what is right, you know? How- yeah, I think those are the experiences, though, that like they mold your future decisions, right? Like, yeah. that's uh, and and uh, you know, you talk to people about you know putting a steroid on something early, and and uh, you know, you're like, well, I'll do that. I don't care, you know, because you've not had a bad outcome of it yet, you know, and, right. and it only takes one, right? And right. It's, it's that person's eye forever, so yeah. it's tough, and and I do, I do that all the time, the bandage lens situation, and I think it works. It works beautifully. Oh, um, I mean, it does, no question. But it's interesting. I was having a conversation about this very thing with a retinal specialist, and he's like super apprehensive about it because you know he heard once somebody got an endophthalmitis because of a bandage contact hmm. lens after after an injection. You know, so you know. It's um, all about your your past experience. So now all of our listeners will have had that past experience and could not. Well, you know. I mean, some of my my uh, patients that work with my cornea specialists, they'll have a bandage lens in for like three, four, five weeks, six weeks. Right. Without taking it out. No. Then, yeah. And it's just like. And it's fine. And it's fine. I mean, how now, often do they do people- cover with an antibiotic? Do you think that's a difference? Usually did you cover do, but I did antibiotic? cover with an antibiotic. Yeah, yeah. So um, and polytrim is actually usually a pretty good broad coverage antibiotic. Yeah. Maybe I should have right. used like Oflox or something a little stronger, but honestly, I wasn't really that worried because her corneas yeah. were good. But, Ugh. anyways, that's the kind of thing that spooky. Keep that in mind. It's always going to happen. I know. <laughs> 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 Anyway, nice. go. Round three. Well, I'm going to go ahead and be Debbie Downer one more time. Oh, you're here. just going to do that. God damn it. I wish I could come up with something that's spooky but also funny. Um, 
I'm going to work on that for next week. Uh, but this is something that's absolutely not funny, but it is scary, super scary. And it really all goes back to, um, you know, the birds and the bees. And what <laughs> I'm going to make it a little bit funny, um, you know, because I have two children, as all of you know. And, uh, you know, after you have a child and you're in the hospital, it's actually state law that you watch a shaken baby video. Uh? And shaken baby video is like the worst thing you want to watch after having, you know, a baby like four hours before. <laughs> and they just like cart this little thing in. You got to watch it. And um, it's like the worst thing ever. And you could never imagine, you know, doing this until, you know, it's like, 3 a.m. in the morning and kid just won't won't stop screaming. There's nothing you can do. And at that moment, you know that it's not that far-fetched, that you can understand why people get put in that situation. And I know it sounds totally ridiculous, but for parents that are out there and have had that experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, um, you know, as eye doctors, we have a really unique um, uh, place in being able to diagnose shaken baby. And I really, to be honest, didn't know that. I don't remember being taught that in school. Um, I just don't. So I've actually had a case, uh, of shaken baby. Uh, we work really close with our, uh, pediatricians in the area. We get referrals for newborns, uh, first year life patients all the time, big, um, into infancy and, and all that kind of stuff. So they will send us stuff, anything that they see. So, uh, I did some research on a abu- uh, shaken baby and it's actually also called abusive head trauma. Didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, At. so things to look for with, uh, abusive head trauma or shaken baby are subdural hemorrhages, bilateral retinal hemorrhages um, and potentially uh, brain damage um, that that could result in, you know, various changes in mood or affect. And so, you know, in my patient, uh, the, the, ba- the, the, he wasn't really a baby, actually. He was, he was uh, two. It's more like an infant. Um, but even at that age, you know, there's still a lot of, um, you know, uh, brain development going on um and you know potentially risk for for uh for damage so i did a dilated retinal exam and i did see retinal hemorrhages and that was that was out of my chair uh we're, we have mandate mandatory reporting in our state uh we have to go through child abuse two hours of child abuse um uh ce every cycle do you guys have to do that um, not in Washington, although that's probably a smart thing to just know about. Yeah, it is. It's kind of interesting because it, te- it you know goes through like you know who you should report to, what you should report, and so um, this happened, and I reported it to to the um, appropriate. Did you have to report it to, like simply from the uh, hemorrhages? That's your yeah. Yeah. Only if you see bilateral hemorrhages. Yeah, and that's that's actually uh, brings up a really great point. So the most common retinal manifestation of shaken baby is multiple retinal hemorrhages in multiple layers of the retina. So um, it's in 85% of cases. Oh, it's basically pathognomonic for it. Interesting. Um, yeah. So like yeah. that so it's, alone it's, is the only thing that could cause that in kids? That or is a really- most common that cause? That is a really- that's a great question. Um, and so there are some other things that can cause uh, bilateral retinal hemorrhages. Um, some are relatively rare and some are not. Um, one is Tursen syndrome. Um, so it's a rare um, condition that causes bilateral multilayered retinal hemorrhages. Um, this is uh, 
only approximately 5% of the population, pretty rare. Um, the other is uh, blood clotting abnormalities, um, also quite rare. So when you look at, you know, um, basically the thought process is that since uh, shaking baby with with uh, the, this type of presentation is 85% shaking baby, um, 5% tersens, maybe even less percent uh, blood uh, clotting issues, that that needs to be rolled out first, just as a wow. re- result of the fact that, you know, there's other things that are going to come along with that that could cause serious long-term damage. So, um, you know, you could contact the pediatrician, let them do the reporting or contact, you know, the person you need to report and then contact the pediatrician. But those two individuals should be made aware of the situation. And ultimately what's going to happen is Child Protective Services is going to get involved and that child's going to be removed from the home, uh, which is what happened in, in, in my case. Um, scary, yeah. scary stuff. And, um, you know, a situation you really don't ever want to have to be put in, but something that, you know, we should all be totally aware of Of in in that if you see a baby um or an infant even uh who has bilateral retinal hemorrhages you you got to think about those medical things but you should really be aware of of the whole process and so of and by that i mean what's going on with the family and ask some of those questions so you know for me there were some other red flags and i'm not going to say too much more because you know i just it's a sensitive topic but um there were some other red flags, you know, that, that uh, led me to believe that this was something like that. Sure. Gosh, yeah. <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <Okay>. Sorry. <laughs> All right. My case is about a 32-year-old male who's a ship worker and builds ships. And he comes in, sent over by our urgent care, well, one of our local urgent care centers, due to something, a foreign body in his eye. So he comes in, vision, let's say it's his right eye, I can't remember, right eye, 20-30 vision, he's got a small piece of metal with a rust ring, kind of near the center of his uh, visual axis. So no big deal, pull out that little piece of metal, go get my algebra brush. I always like to give the conversation, you're going to hear a sound, it sounds like a battery charged something, you're not going to mm. feel anything. Um, just because you know it's a little bit weird to hear the the, the battery charge something yes, close the to zoom <laughs> of the <laughs> the yeah. algebra brush. But anyway, For sure. so I start getting that done, and I got like ninety five percent gone. And then all of a sudden, he I can just see him like starting to cue like really was holding it together, not even like making any sounds or even complaining about anything I was doing. He sits back and he doesn't feel good. He's uh, like about to have a vasovagal episode. I recline him. I get him water. He's just like feeling terrible. And long story short, we decide, okay, we're going to stop. Like we can't do this any further. We're done. Um, I decide, okay, like I can place a bandage contact in. I want to see you back in a week. I want you to use this antibiotic and the ointment. But there's a good chance I'm going to need to do it again because if you leave rust, it's going to grow again. And we sort of have that conversation. He agrees, comes back in a week. Now his vision's 2050. Yeah, he feels better-ish, but of course the rust is back. So I say, you know, it's probably better mm. that I do this again because, you know, right. that rust in your cornea is not a good thing. But basically we decide, let's leave it for one more week. I take the bandage out. And if not, you're going to go see my cornea specialist to deal with this. 
So anyway, I just happened to see him on a schedule last week, seeing my cornea specialist. He's doing a topography. The cornea specialist actually didn't end up taking the rest out that day. Um, but I don't know. That's just something that got me a little nervous, right? Because yeah. what do you do when somebody decides they just can't handle your treatment? You know, yeah, not that it's like compliance necessarily. Through. You don't want them to pass you know, out. Yeah, you know that you're not done. Yeah. It needs to be, you know, something else needs to be done there. Right. That's a tough one. I mean, I think the quick referral was crucial. I mean, that yeah. makes me feel better. And, of course, being in my practice, he could see my chart notes and see. I, of course, documented the situation that happened. But right. there, there's only so much you can do. And ultimately, he's the so one who got what, the metal in his eye. What did he end up doing then, did you say? So he did a topography, started him, okay. I believe, on a steroid. And I think he's going to see him back in a couple of weeks to see if his vision uh. improves. Uh. I was expecting him to take the metal out then. But I think the yeah. epithelium had healed and his eye was feeling a little better. He just wasn't yeah. seeing great. Okay. Uh, but anyways, we'll see how that goes. But those are just, of course, like, obviously, I don't want to have to deal with any sort of malpractice situation. But... I think obviously CYA. considering the fact that he and I both agreed upon all every step here, ideally yeah. I will avoid that. You're good. But always nerve wracking when it, you know that you should do something and you can't. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That That is interesting. Those things, I'm going to try and sleep tonight in my suite here in <laughs> Las Vegas, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, I might not be able to because I'm going to be thinking about rust rings and uh, retinal hemorrhages and um, maybe someone shaking you domestic at Domestic violence. I mean, just all sorts of spooky yeah. shit, yeah. as the lady in the <laughs> cab would have said. Spoken, spoken so. like a saint. Yeah. So, so what do you think? That was pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, spooky episode that we just had here. Okay, let's leave all our listeners with one little. Little teaser? Teaser, yeah. Okay, We're going to post tease. a picture on our Facebook and Instagram account yes. about something really cool we saw on, on, well, actually, Jimmy saw on Facebook. It was actually on OS Docs. OS Docs. Shout out Scott Schachter. What's up, dude? But uh, <laughs> it's a really cool uh, eye drop, actually, that someone is taking to assist with corneal neuropathy. If you read it, it will say a... Full-spectrum cannabis oil. It's in an eyedropper. And this huh. patient is using cannabis oil to treat their dry eye. Huh. They're Canadian. So that Canada. probably explains it. <laughs> eh? Sorry about that, but so I sorry. think we need to talk more about this. This is kind of a scary, fun, spooky thing. Maybe a little taboo, but, you know, it's really big in... in I think All a lot's co- going to come of it, and I'd like everyone to learn a little more about it with us, and we may have even a special guest with, for that. We're going to talk about weed. Let's just let's just say what it is. Reefer. Reef. <laughs> Good. Not I like reef. it. Reef? What are you? I don't know. I don't know. It is. I think it's legal here in Vegas right now, actually. Is it? I don't know. It's legal in it's Washington, legal in Vegas. California, Oregon, Colorado. Don't know about it. D.C., Massachusetts, Maine. Yep. yep. So it's, it's no longer bad. Eye drops out there, people. Got to be ready for this stuff. More to come. Well, I think that about does it. But before we go, of course, we'd like to say thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, not only for their amazing lenses, but also the awesome people they are to work with. 
Be sure to tune in and listen to our next episode as we kind of give you a teaser on. But until then, try not to blink.